Those of you who have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Numbers 21, verses 4 to 9. It's not necessarily going to be the, uh, the primary scripture, but it is the... It is a foundational scripture that's going to pretty much set the table for what we're, what we're going to talk about today. And while you're getting there, uh, join me in a pre-prayer prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word shall last forever. Not one jot, not one tittle, not one dot. shall pass from your word, O God. So we thank you for the word of truth, and we pray that you would sanctify us in your truth, Father God, for thy word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This is a fairly common, commonly known passage of scripture. You see... Moses and the people of God had just come off of a victory against Canaan. And they're leaving Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea. And they have to go around the land of Edom because the king there refused them passage which means their journey is going to be much longer and much more difficult than it had to be. And let's starting at verse 4 of Numbers 21. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. I know that probably doesn't describe any of y'all. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the Lord came to Moses and said, Oh, and the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So, here we have something that unfortunately is not un uncommon in human nature. We can be on the high road praising God, thanking God for what he's given us in the very next moment. We can be angry at God complaining, why have you put us in this situation? How unfair and how unjust you are, God. And you know what? The provision of God that has sustained us, we can even deceive ourselves into looking at that 
with disdain. And it's one thing when they complained against Moses, God's man. This is even worse. They're complaining against God and Moses. And so God sent fiery serpents. It's a judgment of God that dealt with the sin of rebellion against God. So let's make no sense, let's make no mistake about it. God does not play around. I know God is a God of love, there's grace, there's mercy, but don't think for a second God won't deal with you if it's needed. He chastises those whom he loves, right? All right? And God is not mocked. He will deal with us if we are walking in disobedience and walking in rebellion against him in our hearts. Amen? Now, in this grace dispensation, Praise God, the earth doesn't open up and swallow us up anymore. I look at the children of Israel, you know, they are, they are a, a body of people. And you had people who were leading, who were rebellious, who led, who had influence and led the crowd into disobedience to the Lord. Guess what? God dealt with those people and he killed the influence. He may not kill you and me, but he's going to deal with us so that whatever is causing rebellion, whatever is preventing us from walking with God, humbly with him where he wants us to go, he's going to make sure that dies in you so that you can move on with God. And, and we need to thank him for that because if he didn't love us enough to do that, woe would be us. Amen? There's a promise of God that is going to be fulfilled, and he is faithful even though they're not faithful. He's going to deal with them in such a way as to make sure the promise is fulfilled, and he's got a purpose and plan for your life. He's going to deal with you in whatever way it takes for you to get in line with the purpose and plan he has for your life. So if you're fighting with God, the best thing for you is to lose. You can either willingly yield or be yielded. But the best thing for you is to yield to God's purpose and plan for your life. Are you hearing me today? God sent the fiery serpents. And whoever got bit, death was certain. But along with the fiery serpents, when they prayed, when they owned up to their sin, it's nothing like consequences to get our attention and, and to change our perspective, right? They went to Moses, pray to him for us. And Moses prayed, and God's mercy and grace was extended. He told Moses, make a serpent, which is, which is interesting. A serpent represents sin. It represents evil. But God told him to make one and erect it on a pole. And whoever looked up on that, would be healed. 
Why would he do that? We saw a serpent in the garden. We know how that worked out. In Revelations, there's a serpent that ain't on God's team depicted in there. And he erected it on the pole. All right. And he erected it on a pole. So that whoever was bidden, when he sees it, shall live. I believe the significance of that serpent being on the pole, that serpent does represent sin. That fiery serpent on, on the pole goes further. It represents sin judged. God judged their sin in that moment. He dealt with that. But then he takes that serpent representing the judge's sin and erects it up on a pole and just says, all you got to do is look at it. If you look on it, you'll be saved. If you look on it, you will be healed. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who looked on it lived. I want to go on to John chapter 3 and listen to the words of Jesus because Jesus in John 3 verses 14 to 18 he's speaking of the sacrifice that he would make for the salvation of mankind he explains something to us verse 14 he says and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You know, it doesn't make any sense. If half of this church had been bitten by snakes and we're dying, how would it come across to you if someone put a bronze snake around this cross? Now, you, there's hospitals, there's antivenom, there's stuff that you, you, there's practical things that you can do that make sense on how you can do something to save your life. But someone tells you, no, 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 forget the antivenom. All you got to do is look here and you'll be here. That, you would think that person is crazy. It doesn't make sense, does it? In the natural it doesn't make sense. But there, he had Moses do what he did because that whole scene was meant to point us. It was a foreshadowing of the salvation that would come to us in Christ Jesus. You know what? Jesus did all the work on the cross for us, and we're going to be going through scriptures about that. And all we basically are asked to do is look on Jesus. Look on, the, look on the one whom paid the penalty for our sins. Are you hearing that today? So Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have ever but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Now, Jesus having come, all we've got to do is look to Jesus and place our faith and trust in him. And we are saved. Because all of humanity, apart from Christ, all of humanity has been bitten. Infected by the serpent, Satan. with sin that's at work in us that causes us to disobey, walk in our own way, and rebel against God. And there was nothing we could do about that. Sin was our master. But God sent Jesus and he was lifted up just like that serpent in the, in, in the book of Numbers. And all we got to do is look to Jesus and we're healed. It's that easy. It doesn't make sense, does it? Just like the serpent being lifted up and looking on it would heal you, doesn't make sense. In the natural mind, it doesn't make sense that it's that easy, that it's that simple, that it doesn't require more of you. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to earn it because it cannot be earned. Why have us try and earn something we could never earn, right? And so, it doesn't make sense until you consider the fact that God so loved the world. Love doesn't always make sense, does it? Man, y'all are silent today. I see husbands over there. How should I answer this? Why is peeking over? Mm -hmm. I wonder how he's going to. But love doesn't always make sense. It's amazing what we're willing to put up with for love. It's amazing what love will enable us to endure. It's amazing the sacrifices that we're willing to make for love. Stuff we wouldn't put up with from anybody else. We might put up with for love. My mind can hardly fathom God's immeasurable love for us, his ability to suffer so long with us, his, his patience, how he's able to love me through so many of the sins and, and issues of my heart and of my life. And yet, like the song said that we sang this morning, he has never abandoned me. If you thought for a moment about your worst moments and all the mistakes that you've made, 
God was there in every one of them. He knows even the stuff you don't tell your best friends, your siblings, your parents. He knows the worst mistakes that you made. He was there. He saw them. And he loved you no less after than he did before. He never abandoned us. Amen? And so whenever I have trouble trying to make sense of it all, I just chalk it up to, you know what, doesn't have to make sense. It, it, in a way, it does make sense to me because I know the power of love. <laughs> and God loves on a level that I probably can never fully comprehend. And so the more I understand his love, the, the better I'm able to comprehend why he set up salvation the way that he did, why he sent his only begotten son to suffer my sin debt to reward and bless me with eternal life with him. You think about that. I'm, as I usually do, I, uh, I start pulling in scriptures I'm going to go to into the right now. But that doesn't mean I'm going to skip those scriptures. So we're in it all the way today, y'all. So we, and we got to remember as God's ambassadors, we got to remember that we used to be on the other side of salvation. And remember what scriptures like we just read in John chapter 3, what it meant to us, how much hope it filled us with, you know, how much life it infused in us when we found out that God loved us so much that he gave his son. But in verse 17, for God did not send Jesus into this world to condemn the world. We got to remember that. That's not why Jesus came. Now, Part of the result of his coming is that the world will be condemned, those who choose to reject the gospel. But the heart of God was that we would receive him by faith and not be condemned, but be saved. Amen? And so, and we need to remember that when we're looking at with frustration at this world. We're looking at frustration with the people that are in the field that we're supposed to work, right? Your attitude matters. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You can project an attitude while you may have the gospel to share. You can project an attitude that turns people off where they're not trying to hear what's coming out of your mouth. And if we're going to be an ambassador for Christ, then we're going to have to project his heart as well as his word. Because when people receive Jesus, they love the word that he preached, but he grasped their heart because he gave them his. Are you hearing me? And so if we're going to represent him in the world, make sure we're representing his heart so that people can see Christ in us, the hope of glory. That when they see us, our attitudes, they see our actions, they ought to be those that emulate 
the one whom we represent. So don't be among those that are out there claiming to represent Christ, but are behaving in ways that are contrary to him. That's not a good witness. That's not fighting the good fight. Are you hearing me? He did not send his son into the world to condemn, to condemn the world. Think about it. The world. How often do we talk about in church circles and we talk about the world? That's the world. Well, I came out of the world. We all came out of the world. Jesus died for the world. So we better get with the program. Amen? So Jesus drew that connection between the serpent, the bronze serpent on the pole in Numbers and what the Messiah would do for us spiritually in this new covenant dispensation. I'm going to speed up a little bit. John 12, verses 27 to 33. John 12. I can't set this up and not actually work it all the way through to the cross. Because we're going to do communion today, and I want a message that is fitting for communion. I want us to really, I want to paint a picture for us of how much our God loves us and what he has done for us. And here we are, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. This is Jesus speaking to his followers. He knows he's about to suffer the cross. And he's feeling the weight of it. And he's saying, my soul is troubled. But what shall I say? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? It's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is no. He says, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. But Jesus answered and said to them, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so he's projecting what's about to happen and the significance of what's about to happen. And I'm speaking to every brother and sister in this church. You know what? I... I want the church to stop being so afraid and worried about what the devil is doing. Right? I, I am so tired of us fearing like the devil has power that he does not have. He doesn't rule anything here. He doesn't rule anything in you. He doesn't rule anything in your house. He is not running this world anymore. Christ stripped him of the authority that he stole from Adam. Christ has all authority in the palm of his hand. And so we need to be more concerned with what God is saying 
to us. We need to be more concerned with what God wants us to do because there is nothing the devil can do to stop it. Amen? And we're not worried about what's going on. I don't care what schemes is going on out there. It shall not prevail against the will and plan of God. Are you hearing me? It says in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He has been bumped out of his ruler chair. The authority that he stole is not his. Christ defeated him, made an open show, an open spectacle of him, triumphing over him through the cross. So there's a lot of bluster. There's an old uh, saying from, you know, there's a lot of hat, no cattle. That's why he goes around like a roaring lion, because he ain't one. But he wants you to believe he's one. Seeking whom he may devour. Seeing who is timid enough, who is unsure of who they are in Christ enough to be duped by him, giving him influence and authority in their life that he does not and should not possess. Don't be those people. Amen? Because he does not have the authority contrary to popular belief. He ain't running nothing. And Christ says, when I am lifted up, you know, he's lifted up in two ways because, you know, he's lifted up on the cross to pay our sin debt. Then he was lifted up again to go be at the right hand of the Father. Amen? And because he's been lifted up, he's, everybody's got to come to Christ. Whether you are in faith or you rejected him, you're going to have to come to him. And everybody's going to have to bow the knee. Amen? And you want to be bowing the knee in faith. You don't want to be bowing the knee too late. So because of what he's done, yes, he went to the cross. He said before he suffered the cross, if I be lifted up, it wasn't an if, it was going to happen. He said when, I'm sorry, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw people to myself. Luke 23, starting at the 32nd verse. Jesus is crucified along with two criminals. Verse 32 says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, where they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is the heart of our God. This is the heart of our Lord Jesus. The very ones who manipulated, schemed, lied, deceived to put him on that cross, he is saying, Father, forgive them. They think they know what they're doing, but they really don't know what they're doing. And he could call judgment. He could call hellfire. But remember, he did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And in a moment where no one would blame him if he were to lash out and say, get him, get him, Father, for what they've done, 
he really shows the truth of John 3, showing that he's not there to condemn. He wants them to be redeemed. He wants them to, to believe in him and, and get salvation in, by faith through him. And he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't really know what they're doing. How many of you know that there are some rank sinners out there? They might think they have life figured out, but they really don't know what they're doing. And we need to have the same heart of Jesus, that Jesus had towards the one who's crucified him. We need to have the same heart towards them. Father, they don't know what they're doing. They're walking in darkness. They're walking in deception. Father God, I pray that, they, that, that the truth of your gospel is revealed to them. Father God, that they might receive your forgiveness and be redeemed and reconciled to you. That should be in every church around the world. We, that should be a priority for us. And, you know, that should and is going to be a priority here. Amen? Amen. And so, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. I'm sorry. Uh, yes. And skip down to verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour. Just for those of you who, who, who may not know, you know, their, their day officially started at 6 a.m. back then. So the third hour would be 9 a.m. The sixth hour would be noon. All right. The ninth hour would be 3 p.m. and so forth and so on. And so, so it was now about the sixth hour or noon. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So it's like the sun just blanked out for three hours in the hottest and brightest part of the day. This is not natural. This is a supernatural thing going on here. Until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Isn't it amazing that we have a man representing the secular government? His job is to execute criminals. How many criminals has crossed his face that claimed innocence? He probably never said that anyone that he condemned to die or that he executed because they were condemned to die, he probably never felt that any of them were innocent. And yet the one who refused to defend himself, the one who refused to rail against the machine and say, I'm being railroaded here. I'm innocent. I've never committed a sin or broken the law in my life. This is unjust. This is unfair. He was as a lamb before shearers is done. He opened not his mouth. And yet the way he conducted himself as he was dying on a cross for the sins of the world, an unsaved Gentile, just by observation, says, surely this man was innocent. It's amazing that we have a God who can even make the unsaved Gentile bear witness 
to him. <laughs> Amen. Uh, God is good. All right, so, so now we see on, that, on an old rugged cross at Golgotha, Jesus was nailed to that cross. He was lifted up on that cross just like he said would happen to him. And he died on that cross. And the centurion said he was innocent. Another gospel account, the centurion says, surely he was the son of God. Brings us to Matthew 28. Jesus is dead, but how many of you know him dying on the cross was not the full story? We're saved not just because he died on the cross, but because he didn't stay dead. Death did not have power or dominion over him. On the third day, he rose again, conquering hell and death. Amen? And so, Matthew 28, starting at the first verse, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But an angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. Say it with me, he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. <laughs> you know, this dude was dead. He just meets him. Hey, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You know, we had a, a Bible study discussion a couple of weeks ago that centered around John the Baptist where probably the main, where the main uh, topic we were talking about expectations and disappointments in our walk with the Lord and how John sent the message by two of his messengers to Jesus saying, are you the one or do we look for another? And we talked about how, man, just eight chapters earlier, He's, he's, he's confident he is the one. He knows he is the one. God speaks from heaven confirming he is the Messiah. And yet here he is in Matthew 11 sending this message. And so we batted around the question, 
Why the change? How could it be so sure in one chapter and send a message like this in a later chapter? And someone said, well, he's in jail. His circumstances changed. Remember, he was the Elijah that was prophesied that would prepare the way for the Lord. He got a chance to announce the arrival of the Messiah. The last of those Old Testament prophets that would prophesy about the coming of the Lord, he got to say, it's him. I've seen him. And he got to baptize him. No doubt he thought he would have a front row seat to everything going down. Now everything's going to get turned upside down. No more Roman rule. Israel's going to be top dog. Rome is going to be torn down. And none of that happened. And on top of that, he's in jail. So the question is, is, is uh, rooted in the disappointment. Things aren't happening the way I expected it to happen. Uh, one of the reasons I had joy that the Messiah would, had arrived is that I thought he was going to do certain things and that I was going to be involved in some kind of way, and yet here I am behind bars. You know, John never left that jail. He'd done his job. The prophecy didn't say he was going to be around when the Messiah suffered on the cross and rose again. He just said he would prepare the way. He had prepared the way. And it's disappointing for him personally probably, but after preparing the way, his days were short on the earth. It doesn't take away the significance of his ministry, the significance of his contribution. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. But we, our expectations unmet can even make us look sideways at God. But Jesus wasn't offended. He was very honoring of him as he addressed the crowd. You know, we have a, a big God who can handle our attitudes. Amen? Just don't forget that he's God. And even in your attitude, <laughs> even in your attitude, uh, you better find a way to convey that attitude in a humble and respectful way. We don't always see and understand or agree with how God works, but God in his infinite wisdom always knows what's right, always knows what's just. He knows the end from the beginning. So what we need to do is get disciplined in trusting him, even when we don't understand. And when expectations aren't met, then we need to resolve that the error lay in my expectations, not in and not question the character or justness of God. And so the followers of Christ were disappointed because their expectations were not met. They too thought that the Messiah was going to flip the hierarchy upside down, pull down the authority of Rome, elevate Israel to top dog status and you know that he was going to have a political impact as well as a spiritual one but he wasn't there for that his kingdom was not of this world and so but but because they thought what they thought when he died 
because of their expectations, they weren't rejoicing. They were disappointed. Because his death, you know what died along with him? The hopes of their political uprising. (laughs) The hope of them becoming top dog and everything. Well, he must not, was he not the one? What's going on? And so they're all disappointed, going back to their way of life, thinking they probably wasted a few years of their lives. And then all of a sudden, these women, I love them. These women, the men are sulking in some room somewhere. These women are going to the tomb. And I'm not saying that they knew any more than he did. But, it, you know, at least they're seeking. They're seeking the place where he was laid. They are there. They're still honoring. They're they're not doubting whether he was the one. They're grieving the fact that he's dead, but they're not doubting that he was the one. And because of that, they're in a place where it was first confirmed to them that he's not dead anymore. He's risen. He's not here. Praise God. They They continued to seek him. They continued to serve him even when they didn't understand what was going on. And they're rewarded with the revelation. He's not in this tomb anymore. Go tell your brothers, the ones who are sulking in there, whatever room they're in. I'm not turning this into a gender battle. I'm just saying I want to give respect. Because sometimes in our walk with the Lord, we just got to roll up our sleeves and just say, Lord, I'm going to operate in what I know, what I know you want me to do. There's no guarantees. I don't see how this situation is going to change, but I know what your word says. I know what you've called me to, and I'm going to be faithful to this. If nothing comes of it, you're still God. But I know you love me. I know you're for me, and I know I don't, I know I look through a glass darkly, so I don't have full revelation. But if there's something more to be had here, you will reveal it to me in due time. But I'm just going to operate in what I know, and I'm going to give you what you're due. You're still God. You still, you still, uh, my heart still belongs to you. I can't undo the way that you've changed and transformed my life. And I can't deny the confirmation in my heart from God that you are the Messiah. That's real. That's what I know. I don't understand the circumstance, but here's what I know, and I'm standing on it. There comes a point where that's where you got to be to persevere and get through some stuff. Stand on what you know. Amen? So he's not, he's risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And so... As we begin, as I begin to wind this message down today, Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5 pretty much encapsulate 
what I want to get over to you today. And I haven't said it, but the title of today's message is Look Upon Jesus, Our Salvation. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5 say, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Just like those that looked upon the bronze serpent on the pole, they looked upon him, they were healed. As we look upon Jesus and we place our faith in him, we are healed. First and foremost, right, first and foremost, we are healed from the curse of the law. We are healed from sin and death. Amen? Amen. We are healed from uh, being at enmity with God. In, in, in having the condemnation of the Lord rest upon us. Through Christ, we now have peace with God, and the salvation of the Lord is our inheritance. Amen? And so, so praise God. He was the one that bore all of that. Just as ugly as the sins we, we witness when we read the Old Testament, it's as ugly as their sins are, was and is our sin. You know, I've been guilty before in my life of uh, being very descriptive and very definite about other people's sin, being a little more muted, uh, a little softer when it comes to describing my sin, you know. And that, to be honest with you, that was the sin of self-righteousness. I, I, to me, you know, my sin wasn't as bad. But if I'm, if I'm suffering the effects of your sin, oh, you're the worst person in the world. And I want God to deal with you. I'm not saying now, you know, I'm just saying there was a time. But I think it's human nature. Oftentimes, we're quick to defend and justify our own actions. But we are not so inclined when it comes to the actions of others, especially of people that we're in conflict with. It may not be you, maybe it's somebody you know. You know, but in order for the, you know, in order for it to be a witness to the world, Jesus says, by this the world shall know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We're going to have to grow out of that so that they can see a people in the body of Christ who we have overcome the, the, the human nature uh, uh, that tends to be self-centered and, and self-gratifying and tends to, be, to defend our own actions and be relative in our judgments. If I do something, then my intent is what I want you to know. You know, yeah, the end result is not as important as what I intended. But if you do something and I suffer because of it, I don't care about your intent. All that matters to me is the result of it. Right? And so, and I want a pound of flesh for it. That's, 
anybody and everybody does that. But if we're going to represent Christ well, then we're going to have to learn how to be nailed to the cross and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, I choose to forgive them because you commanded us to forgive. How can I, who walk in the forgiveness that you have given, freely given me, refuse to give forgiveness to someone who has offended me? How can I do such a thing? How dare I do such a thing, especially when it's in violation of what you've commanded me to do? And we just got to bottom line it. And so that we can be clear about what we're doing here. Are we choosing to obey God? Any other decision is choosing to rebel and disobey God. It's not a struggle. It's a choosing to obey or disobey. That was funny. Huh? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's an area of struggle for me. Yeah, only because you refuse to bow the knee and decide to obey the Lord in it. But he was crushed. He was bruised. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was crushed for our iniquities, pierced for our transgressions. He bore the chastisement. that brought us peace with God. So I will conclude in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, like this song said, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, for you and I, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Hallelujah. Now, we're already saved. But that ultimate unveiling of that salvation has yet to occur. He's coming back for us. Amen? We're going to meet him in the air. Whether, we, whether we're already gone home <laughs> or we're here yet, we're going to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And it does not yet appear what we shall be like, but we will be like him. We'll be with him, our inheritance, and the place that he went to go prepare for us, we'll be in that place with him forever. To God be the glory. Amen? And it's like that song, that's why we praise him. That's why we sing. That's why we offer him our everything. That's why we bow down and worship this king, because he gave his everything. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, would you mind, Heather uh, and Johnny, would you uh, help me here? Uh, Jason? Okay. What we want to do is we want to put a table here between these two as okay. well. Right out here in front under the 
same. That's fine. That's fine. Just while we're waiting for uh, the children and the children's church servers to uh, to join us, I just want you to be just be in the moment with the Lord where you're at. And the scriptures that we've gone over today, the 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 message of Jesus being lifted up on that cross. He didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Think of all the, thi- all the things that God is to you. And in, in every moment in your life, how he has been present even when you didn't feel it even when you didn't think it in the moment looking back over you realize that he was there and and if it wasn't for his grace his presence the way he moved on your behalf who knows where you'd be right now you've never been abandoned You've never walked alone. He has been ever faithful, and so shall he ever be to you. And if you ever wonder... if you matter... If you ever wonder if you're cared for, if you ever wonder if you're loved, if you ever wonder if you're worth anything, I want you to remember what Christ Jesus has done for you and let that serve as the definitive answer for you. That yes, you are worth it. You are loved. You are cared for. You are wanted. Man didn't create you. Man cannot limit your value. The God of all creation, the God of heaven and earth, the one 
and only true God. Elohim. Jehovah. He's declared you to be his beloved. You are precious in his sight. You are his treasure. And he proved it by sending his only begotten son. To pay your sin debt on the cross. That he could spend eternity with you. Hallelujah. That's love. That's love that, that's that God kind of love, agape love. You may not have someone in your life that loves you like that. But the fault is not yours. If you, even if you don't have a person in your life that loves you like that, let it be enough that you have a God in heaven that does. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for your great love toward us. Thank you, Jesus, that for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross, despising its shame. first rows going to have you come and pick up the communion elements and return to your seats um, my goodness yeah starting with you sweetheart. yeah just go do it go back around and re-enter from the other side
we forgot you? Thank you for your sacrifice. For you are the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You are the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice that gave us peace with God. You told Pilate that when he said, talk to me, do you know I have the power on whether you live or die? He says, you, you don't have any power except that what my father gave. And that really ministers to me because Jesus is saying, I'm not here because there's, it's not that I can't do anything about this. That I don't want to. I want to go to the cross, not because for love of pain or, you know, or self-aggrandizement. Is that I love the people that I have created. I love mankind. And it is not acceptable for me for mankind not to have redemption and and the opportunity to be reconciled to me. And so I'm willingly, Jesus said of himself, I willingly lay down my life. Oh, I'll take it up, I'll take it up again. I will rise again, but I lay down my life for my bride. I lay down my life for the people that I created, the people that I love. I will undo what Satan has done. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you laid down your life to save us, to redeem us, to reconcile us to yourself. And we will ever be grateful, ever be thankful, ever be mindful, Lord, of what you have done. And we will give you praise and glory for all the days of our lives, Father God. The sacrifice of praise shall ever, always emanate from us to your glory and praise. Speaking from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at the 23rd verse. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Hallelujah. Even, even so, come, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 God is so good. I'm going to just have the worship team continue to play. Um, I didn't pay attention if everyone participated, and if someone wasn't comfortable, that's fine, but... The gospel message has been presented today and there must be opportunity for it to be responded to. And maybe you're here today. Whether it was by invitation or whether you saw us on the website and, you know, just felt compelled to come here or However you ended up here, you're here, and God wanted you here. You're here for a reason. So if you don't, if this gospel presentation that's been made today, if you came here not aware of what Jesus has done for you, and, and now that you've heard that gospel message and that God loves you and that God wants to be in relationship with you and he has an inher eternal inheritance, available to you only through Jesus Christ. And more personally, you found out that you don't have to be clean and perfect for God to accept you. He will accept you just as you are. If that kind of love is appealing to you, if, if that great news, that good, awesome gospel news speaks to your heart and resonates with you then you need to do something about it and respond and say you know what I want Jesus all you need to do is acknowledge that you're a sinner that God is just you're guilty before God as a sinner, but that Christ was sent by God to pay your sin debt. And he did it on the cross. And he rose again on the third day, proving that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, the one who can take our sins away. And if you would just place your faith and trust in Jesus, you will be saved. Hallelujah. If you came here 
knowing for sure you weren't saved or uncertain about where you stand with God, this is your moment to get certain. Because this one thing is certain. God loves you and he wants you. Amen? Amen.